Hello, hello, and you know what? Let's just get into it. And that's not awkward. Hello, hello, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. Up there is the AI. You want to say hello real quick, AI? Good evening, hometown citizens. So because of what happened yesterday, um, I wanted to make up the day <laughs> um, for everyone. And so today is season two, episode 164 for June 13th, 2023. Immediately after this show we will do episode 165 for June 14th. I wanted to be abundantly transparent because we didn't do yesterday's show, um, but we we did aggregate all of the news and we've selected all of the topics. We just want to talk about it today and then go into um, tonight's show immediately afterward. So stick around if you stumble into hometown. Um, I guess you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Um, Today's episode is space trucking and Starfield and more news. Let's get into today's articles. What do you say? Sounds great. So we are continuing to watch the International Longshore and Warehouse Union in Canada vote 99% to strike. So I mean, what uh, happened to the 1% there? I don't know. Maybe they were in absentia and they just didn't show and they they're I don't know. They're on the books, but we're really busy. Maybe it's only two people, you know, you know how percentages work. Yes. So this article is in the Hatch Ideas channel, but it's actually from CNBC. I think it's CNBC. Yeah. And it says here over 99 percent of the international longshore. Wait, let me rephrase this. The ILWU Canada workers authorize strike and landslide vote a quote significant blow end quote to West Coast ports. So what has been happening is um, the uh, International Longshore and Warehouse Union and Longshore unions in California and Oregon and Washington, basically all the way up the coast are all in solidarity and um, striking, but it's not even an official strike yet. Is it? I haven't seen anything say this is an official strike. They're basically not doing work. You're right. I think it's more like we're not doing our assigned tasks or whatever and ports are getting shut down, but I don't think We've actually seen a strike reported. Let me look for that. Yeah. So on CNBC.com, uh, Lori Ann LaRocco, who has been uh, reporting this regularly now, um, reports that uh, 99, they get a little more precise as you go through the article. It's quite entertaining. Uh, in a landslide vote, 99.24% of ILWU Canada voted in favor of supporting a strike, but the earliest date a strike can occur is June 24th. Well, what's been happening is, <laughs> I guess, 
they've been pushing stuff up the coast. Like businesses have been pushing stuff up the coast. Um, And so um, the ports have actually been saying, well, you can uh, go up to uh, uh, Canada and then bring it back down into our ports or uh, into our um, bays and we'll transition it out or something along those lines because they kept saying, I and we kept reading, um, just go north, you know, go up the into Canada. So the port of and Vancouver. I did check that the U.S. ports, like they're not actually at strike yet, but they're heading that way. Yeah, because they've slowed down to the point where there's like two weeks plus worth of delay now out <laughs> off the coast. Um, the strike vote comes as U.S. West Coast ports have uh, been hampered by ILWU worker issues amid challenging contract talks and is a significant blow to West Coast trade stability, according to a logistics expert, uh, with potential repercussions for U.S. industries, including Midwestern manufacturers and automakers. But not just that, because a, a ton of freight comes through, you know, I'm being pretty general here when i say a ton of freight it's several say it's more than a ton (laughs) (laughs) it's quite a bit more um so pushing this up the coast doesn't mean anything because they're all part of the same union um and then pushing it into canada basically forced the hand of ilwu uh unions to stand in solidarity and say well we're not going to weaken their position because it weakens our position Let's stand shoulder to shoulder. So if a strike occurs, a 72 hour strike notice would be filed before June 21st. The earliest possible strike date would be June 24th. The vote, which took place on June 9th and 10th, occurred during a 21 day cooling off period between the British Maritime Employers Association and ILWU Canada. Negotiations with the Federal Maritime uh, Conciliation Service started on March 28th. Two mediators appointed by the Canadian government were overseeing the discussions that ran through the end of May. These talks break down because what's wanted, you know, you can't become a billionaire if you give hundreds of millions away to the very workers that make you a billionaire. So um, they nickel and dime and drive everything down so that the profit margin is greater for investors. And the argument is that investors will make it all better <laughs> um, because they'll keep their money in the company. Okay, okay, but you either have a margin that's small enough to survive and grow at a moderate rate and you're sustainable or you have a massive profit margin, it gets doled out to the stakeholders, the C-class as bonuses, and the workers don't get anything um, and have to you know, pinch just to get medical coverage and safety equipment and uh, uh, <laughs> I guess a, a work-life balance that you can actually exist in. Well, it's all I mean, at odds with each ridiculous. other. Ridiculous. Yeah, but true. <laughs> Need to move something. Um, so what's going to end up happening is somebody's going to have to capitulate. Somebody's going to have to bend the knee and say, yeah, okay, 
we're done here. We can't take the hit one way or the other. Well, the billionaires and the, the C-suite aren't going to sit there and argue. Well, they're going to argue, but they're not going to really care about the working class. They're going to go, yeah, 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 we're, we're working on it. And then to the board and to the stakeholders, stockholders, the investors, the investors are going to go, we, we just want money. We don't care about the people. You know, we don't care if the workplace is horrible. We don't care if the trains fall off the tracks, you know, um, we don't care if the amount of money that's being provided doesn't really make a, um, work life balance make sense. Um, or you're an ongoing concern. Although, I mean, longshoremen make quite a bit of money, but it's hard work. Now here's what's really biting everybody on the butt. There's enough, there's enough money in these companies where they can auto at the ports where they can automate. And so the automation is coming and all it takes is money and humans are replaced. That means you either upskill all of these longshoremen to work or, you know, it's weird to say longshoremen, but they're not necessarily all male. So in longshore people sounds weird. Well, anyway. Well, and the labor category, I don't think has changed names yet. It hasn't quite caught up, but yeah. So let me throw that in chat, but um, automation is coming for them and they see it. It's squarely in their sights that, and oh, and here they even start talking about it in the article here. Um, blah, 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 Clo uh, which led to its closure on Saturday as the ILWU in the U.S. continues to negotiate with the Pacific Maritime Association for a new contract with wages and automation proving to be sticking points. There you go. Um, and like I said, money. So that's, that's basically the, the gist of it. Um, automation is at odds with human capital and humans are going to be replaced by automation. Come hell or high water, humans are going to get replaced because the, what slows down an operation are humans and humans are just notorious for being lazy. We work hard but we're still only bound by eight to 12 hours worth of work before we're exhausted and we need sleep and we get drunk and we have fights with our significant others and bar fights with complete strangers and get hurt on the job and get sick and blah, blah, blah. Computers don't do that. You know, technology doesn't do that. It breaks down and it, <laughs> when you sit there and you think about it, we can calculate a mean time between failure in number of hours of operation, right? I have light bulbs that can run 200,000 hours without failure. They've gone from being $20 and a, a light bulb to $60 a light bulb. Why? Because they run 200,000 hours between failures. You know, I think it's actually somewhere around 60,000 hours, but you know, I've, I've got a light bulb above me that has been in place for six years. <laughs> Working well, it's like those signs you see about like days between accidents or whatever. Right. And it's in days. It's not in weeks or months or yeah. years. 
there's a game in the game fest where it says hours hours between uh, oh, since wow. last accident <laughs> and it said 11. <laughs> nice it's pretty funny I mean, not really but <laughs> yeah if you're interested in that kind of stuff i've got vods here and over on youtube as well um the ai isn't involved in that aspect so um i think the ai is a little more pragmatic about <laughs> their time they're not gonna play games with the mayor of hometown but you can come and hang out anyway um you want to move on to the next article? Uh, there's going to be more to this as it becomes a yeah. little bit more pertinent to day-to-day -day life. Um, this, like many other topics, we are front-loading what's coming our way. A lot of people aren't really talking about this in any substantive way. Um, but uh, I see the writing on the wall, and I think that we um, are watching a pandemic-level strike presenting itself. Um where we're going to be standing in line trying to get toilet paper again. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like we're about to hit that point. I don't, I think people are still getting their stuff right now and it's from prior shipments. And so yeah. it's like, it's not even noticeable. Yep. It's going to be really noticeable pretty soon. I'm thinking around like in the U S for the July 4 holiday, people are going to be buying extra stuff because they're having barbecues or whatever. Yeah, I think that's where it's about to go berserk, but I may be wrong. I don't think you're wrong. I ordered a piece of industrial equipment. I mean, it's pretty lightweight industrial equipment. Um, well, depending on who's trying to lift it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty lightweight. And um, it went from like three days to it's not going to show up until July. And then out of the blue, they said, Oh, we we found one. We're shipping it to you tomorrow. Right. But when will it actually show up? Of course, It actually showed up. It actually showed up. Oh, they, oh. they like fast tracked <laughs> it. But I must have been right on the cusp of not having it. Right. But this isn't something that isn't normally regularly available. So like I, I think I just kind of nipped it in the bud. And if they hadn't had found an extra one in a warehouse somewhere, you know, some inventory variants. Um, I don't think that I'd have this until July. So at any rate, and that's nothing compared to the bigger stuff, right? Like shipping containers are stuck on ships, which means that they're not in, in they're not in the port, which means that they can't utilize them for anything else. Right. And there's a rotation. There's a whole crop You're that right. rotates around the country. So I'm thinking more about like the ships backing up and maybe the trains backing up and things like that, but they can't even load new shipments to come correct to the U S because they don't have the containers. I, I didn't that are supposed talk, to be exiting. Yeah. 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 And they rotate around the U S too. So they go from the port to the location, they do their thing, they go to another. So truckers get paid to just grab a 40 foot container, drive it somewhere, empty it out, drive it somewhere. And hopefully they actually pick it up. They pick something else up. Otherwise it's called a deadhead and they don't like that. So they waste time and money and gas carrying nothing. So they go over to another location, pick up another 40 foot container, go over to another location, deliver it, pick up another one, etc. There aren't enough containers now. And there's been reports about that too, that they're piling up in certain places. 
because of a slowdown. Not a strike yet, just a slowdown. Let's see what happens. We, It's going to happen next week. And that's when we're going to start hearing about it. Okay, let's go on to the next article. This next article is over in Omtown Daily. That's the show, but it's also a, a, a channel and a community over in Omtown.com. San Francisco's downturn just entered a new phase of its crisis as the city's most prominent shopping mall goes bust. We just had a conversation about that. Malls going bye-bye. Um, and I said that I would love to have a mall and turn it into basically a hydroponic, a farm and um, have shops and stuff like that where people can grow their product, whatever it is, and then sell it. And it's basically a farmer's market. Um, and that can be the new hub for communities because we're relying really heavily on um, mega farms. Mega farms are controlled by mega corporations, not by mom and pop shops. Um, and so when something happens, something bad happens, it has this massive cascade effect on the rest of society because when one company runs out or is contaminated, you're not getting anything anywhere. So I like the idea of basically having these little hydroponic farms. So I do this too. I think for San Francisco though, I think this is, it's part of a bigger problem. Like it's not just uh, malls are becoming obsolete. Right. It's that the city is kind of imploding. Well, nobody can afford to exist there. And then when they exodus, the businesses sit there and say, well, you have to come back and work for us in the place. And they're like, well, we, A, we can't afford it. And B, we've had two and a half years of demonstration that we can do the work from anywhere. Uh, meanwhile, there are these old school uh, regressive CEOs that want you to be butt in seat because apparently you actually doing the work product um, from anywhere. Okay, so my problem with this is making somebody sit in an office doesn't make them a good worker. It makes them a monitored worker so they do work. Well, what would you rather have? Why don't you fire that person and hire somebody that's willing to do the work from wherever they are because they do hard work from wherever they are? Well, there's a lot of camaraderie and energy and social aspects that get lost when you are distance. I totally understand that. But the benefit in work-life balance is massive, you know? fine, make it an, a, an option for people to come in and socialize and, and, and do the whole business camaraderie thing, but don't force me to sit in four hours of traffic every day. You're not paying me for four hours of traffic. You're paying me for work product. Let me be happy when I come in and do work. And that's exactly it. Like, like, even if you have a productive worker, they're sitting there and they're not happy. Maybe they're not comfortable or they're not close to whatever it is they like about their home. Maybe they have pets or maybe they have good snacks at their house or whatever. Whatever. It is. Yeah. So Westfield Mall used to be the beating heart retail heart of San Francisco. Westfield stopped paying the mortgage on the shopping mall. 
the San Francisco uh, Chronicle reported. Foot traffic has plunged. The city is so expensive that some people can't afford to live there anymore. And that's exactly what I said. By the way, I, uh, let me just reiterate. The show consists of us reacting to the news that we re uh, that we uh, basically have experience in historically, but the article itself we haven't read other than the snippet. And even most of the time, the snippet I haven't even read. I'm reacting to it while you are reacting to it. Um, so, but we have experience in these areas, everything from, because my particular focus is business technology and society. That's the, my forte. That's my area of expertise. Um, the AI is every, everything. Um, so, um, the, the nuts and bolts of this is if it's too expensive to live in a city, the city basically is a business model. And now the business model is collapsing. It, a lot of people are rich, but the world is seeing that as no longer viable for them. And so you're either going to have to get a completely new crop of people that get suckered into working <laughs> 20 hours a day um, for free bagels and kombucha. Um, or, <laughs> sorry, the, the AI just threw an error message. Let me just drop SCOBY out there. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so Alistair Barr, I'll just keep on talking about the article. The Alistair Barr over at Business Insider is the one that put the article together. Um, can you imagine? Uh, you know what? I'm just not going to pay the mortgage anymore. And then I let mean, can whoever... you imagine what the mortgage payment was on that? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it was. Um, the city is regularly at or near the top of the rankings for the priciest places. Uh, the median rent was $4,500 in 2019, almost three times the national average. See, but you have to account for the fact that the national average includes states like Wyoming, which is basically 1842. Okay, um, sure, but what you're getting for $4,500 in San Francisco is probably like a, I forgot what they're called, but like a tiny apartment essentially. Right. Yeah. Matchbox. Like you're not even getting like a full size house. Right. No, you're paying somebody else's mortgage. This is, that's the pisser of all of this, right? When you pay somebody's, when you pay rent, when you lease an apartment, you're paying somebody else's mortgage for the privilege of living in a little whatever by whatever. And it's such a shit thing. You know, I mean, I believe me, I have my <laughs> I have my history of renting. Right. I like to tell people that the first. OK, I rented a place where I had three other not not roommates. There were three other couples in the same apartment. It was a four bedroom apartment and there were three other couples and me. And one of the, the three was actually kind of a weirdo that always would walk around with a katana and swing it around in the living room. So I'm saying that I, I come from humble beginnings, you know, before I became mayor of hometown, um, my very first place where it was just me, the, when it rained outside, the walls would sweat water and the paint would bubble up. And if I invited anybody over, it was basically a, a, 
a summer day, no matter what was going on, because the place became a sauna because the humidity just <laughs> anyway, and that's California. Anyway, um, my point is 4,500 bucks and you're giving it to somebody else so that they can pay their mortgage, actual mortgage. And so to slow down inflation and slow down prices for houses, they raise the interest rate and stop people from buying houses and raise the level of how much money you have to put down all for quote unquote risk management purposes and to slow down the economy. Meanwhile, there's still human beings that have to move. They have to get apartments now because they can't put enough down payment. They have to save up enough money, but inflation is sucking it from the, the tank faster than uh, uh, H3 or Hummer. I'll say H, uh, a Hummer. Um, and Hummers are expensive, let me tell you. Anyway, the, the, whole, the whole process, this whole machinations, if you're young, you get it, you see it, you go, holy crap, this is crap. If you're older, if you're my age, you're right in between where you're sitting there going, I see the reality of, of what it is, but I'm part of a silent generation where I'm just existing and I'm not flourishing. I'm not, I, I, I'm not really able to take hold of opportunity. And then the older generation, which landed in a sweet spot where there was great risk and great reward because they went through war and conflict. There is a generation now, my generation, um, and the one that's right in front of me, uh, went through turmoil and, and got called into action and, and so on. But they, when they came out of school and the military, there wasn't anything there. It was all a big vacuum of opportunists and greedy bastards. Um, from earlier generations that now have the power and influence and the sociopathy that allowed them to take hold of all of these opportunities. Try and find a mortgage now for a house that your parents or parents' parents existed in, even for $4,500. Good luck. You're going to need a whole bunch of money down just to get it into that ballpark, or you're going to have to move somewhere where there isn't the opportunity that existed for your parents or your parents, parents, and the wealth that was generated by your parents and parents, parents, grandparents. I just like saying parents, parents, um, that was transferred to you, right? And most people, there was nothing. <laughs> So when, you know, the grandparents died, there wasn't anything that was transferred. And when the parents died, they were eking by. Um, and the anomalies are the ones where everybody is hero worshiping and trying to aspire to be. But we live in a different context. Each one of us live in a different context. So it's not that easy, folks. Now, if you learn programming and you want to live in San Francisco, you're going to be fighting you have to be highly competitive to make enough money to live in a place like San Francisco. And there's a lot of people anyway, 4,500. It's all because of this $4,500 number, by the way, all of that tirade was because of a 
$4,500 price tag paying somebody else's mortgage. The list price for homes for sale average 1.3 million, 4.4 times the median list price. And what you get though, that's what I'm, now I'm curious about what you get. Well, People live. That, I'm thinking it's going to be a tiny house, right? Yeah. yeah. People move outside of the central area. They commute in. You hear jokes about the five and the 405. Um, it's meme level where you basically spend your entire existence traveling into work. Um, and, but the edge communities are now jam packed with people driving the prices up because the city is too expensive altogether. Now go talk about New York as well. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. Hey, it just told us the mortgage payment or the mortgage amount. Sorry. $558 million mortgage. Wait, what? It's $558 million mortgage for what duration? Uh, that might be it in total, but they stopped paying. How much did they pay into it? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Well, Westfield, I think is, I, I think, well, malls in general are starting to implode. So they need to change their model. And some of the ideas of the model is to shift it into being um, business office centric um, or housing, converting them into apartments or condos or actual uh, single family dwellings. Um, and you got the central courtyard and all of that kind of stuff. You retrofit it and it becomes a, a community, um, but you're bound inside. So good luck with that. Um, and if you've ever been in a mall that's highly populated with people, it's loud. So I don't know really if people, loud. you blast music in a mall and it's heard everywhere in the mall. It's only drowned out by other cacophony. So anyway, let, we better, if I don't get going, we're never going to get out of here. Let's go. So this next article is over in the continuity report. Um, and I actually have an idea where we'll be able to do this, um, both as a new show and have, um, a, a movie short feature, uh, where we can highlight certain things in movies. Um, and, uh, I will be explaining that, um, probably, uh, next week. So, but I have, I have a little bit of paperwork to do before we can do it. Um, but stay tuned. And if you hear this and you're curious about it, then follow up, come and, uh, follow us over here on, uh, twitch.tv and on YouTube. I got a bunch of stuff that we talk about from the games showcase summer of games, um, this last week, uh, people are kind of digging it. So anyway, uh, come and hang out. Uh, it's very important to me that you come and hang out. Anyway, um, Wheel of Fortune host Pat Sajak to retire after 41 seasons. Quote, it's been a wonderful ride. That's what I said when I heard this. Wow, what a ride. 41 seasons. Would you want to do anything for 41 years? No, and it makes me wonder, you know, if you go on a job interview or something and you need a job, 
and maybe you want the job or you kind of half-heartedly want the job like did he even want the job to begin with <laughs> so it says here um pat Jack is about to take his final spin the longtime wheel of fortune host who has been at the helm of the game show institution since 1981 will step away from the production after the end of his upcoming 41st season a shocking Oh, what a phrase to say. Okay, so J. Kim Murphy over at Variety.com put this article together. Apparently at the end of his last show, where he made the announcement, not his last actual show, but he made the announcement on Monday afternoon. Mind you, this is yesterday's, the, the 13th um, episode. So, um. Uh, Sajak made the announcement on Monday afternoon, quote, well, the time has come. The moment that you hear him say that, the only thing he could say after that was that he's leaving. You know, what a shock yeah, to somebody's system that this guy has been uh, an anchor, a pillar of television for 40 years, over 40 years. I mean, I watched him generations. I watched him as a kid. The comment that I made the day that we actually saw this um, come into hometown was the show's child's child is now in college. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> so it's been, they say, or Pat Sajak says it's, been a wonderful ride and i'll have more to say in the coming months many thanks to you all if nothing else it'll keep the clickbait sites happy so i don't know if that little bit right there is part of his statement but um it's within the quote so uh maybe it's a side comment i can't imagine him using that phrase but yeah that does seem kind of off but so um i i don't know what all is going to happen uh, to Wheel of Fortune because I've only ever seen Pat Sajak and Vanna White doing Wheel of Fortune. I've never seen anybody else. If there has been another time, I don't recall it. You know, even if he's sick, I, I don't recall ever watching the show with anybody other than Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Um, so it says here, 40 amazing years. I just, I cannot imagine um, doing something for 41 years well agreed and now i wonder is vanna white going to retire from the show too and if so like will they try to replenish it with new um hosts i don't know a part of me thinks they will because i think they've been having kind of a resurgence lately they have they have a celebrity one and i don't know yeah. i feel like it's getting a little bit of more trendy or whatever in in younger viewers that yeah. maybe it wasn't in previous years. It seems to be coming back. I know that its marketing has picked up. I know that its messaging has picked up. Um, it certainly embraced online technologies. Um, it says Payjack, uh, Payjack, <laughs> Pat Sajak. <laughs> I merged it into a... <laughs> <laughs> you made a new Benefer, but it's only one person. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the word that I was looking for. I made a Benefer. Um, that's awesome. Uh, so... 
Pat Sajak has hosted Wheel of Fortune since the Reagan presidency, emceeing the daytime edition from 81 to 89 and taking on nighttime duties in 83. Other things that's happened uh, in 1981, NASA's first space shuttle mission, the launch of the McRib and MTV, as well as the death of Bob Marley. This is such an eclectic thing of, of society and history that they threw in here. He's won a daytime Emmy for Outstanding Game Show host three times, along with 19 total nominations. That's it? I figured he'd win more, but I guess there's some serious competition, and a lot of that kind of stuff is marketing, you know, going around. I guess that's his picture, young picture. It's a Getty image, so at any rate, um, good luck, Pat Sajak, whatever wheel you decide to after this the piece of that that really got to me was since ronald reagan and it looks like there's been 11 presidential terms including reagan since then i mean that's a lot of time <laughs> man 41 years like i said i don't want to do anything anything for 41 years i'm having a hard time just never mind <laughs> i'm gonna go on to the next article So this next article is one that came in um, and surprised me because I didn't think Illinois would do this, but uh, okay. First of its kind, Illinois law will penalize libraries that ban books. Libraries pledge not to ban material because of partisan disapproval. Well, they'll find something else to ban um, or a mechanism for which to ban. So let's go straight over to the source, abcnews.go.com. It's from Claire Savage of the AP and a report for America. Now, I don't know about you, but the title of this, right? First of its coin, uh, first of its kind, Illinois law will penalize libraries that ban books. It seems like an onion title. Um, it does. And then when you look at the people that are involved in this, it says, uh, it, in this screenshot from a live stream broadcast by the state of Illinois, uh, Senator Laura Murphy, a Democrat from DePlain, I guess, um, speaks during a news conference and sign a bill signing. To me, this is like a Parks and Rec kind of sitcom group of people, right? This person is like friendly and this has to be the senator um, friendly and seemingly approachable. And this person is looking like the hell you saying? And and this person here is um, like, mm hmm, you know it, you know, that kind of a thing. This person over here is just kind of pondering, thinking about something entirely different than Right. So you have to come and look at this picture. Um, it's yeah, in the it article. Funny. <laughs> like it does look like it's out of a comedy show or a sitcom, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It, this person sitting there texting, you know, looking down at their boots or something. I don't know. But you didn't even comment on the best expression in the group. Look at the uh, gentleman over the uh, woman's shoulder. Yeah. What is, what is he looking at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's he's i don't know he's somebody in the audience <laughs> he looks a little concerned <laughs> it, he looks like he's saying um 
is that person picking their nose? But enough, enough uh, commentary uh, there. Here's the that's the noise that I always joke about, right? All of the news, none of the noise. You get all of the news from hometown. The show, yeah, it's a little bit more colorful. So Illinois Public Libraries that restrict or ban materials because of partisan or doctrinal um, disapproval will be ineligible for state funding as of January 1st, 2024, when the new law goes into effect. But you know what? I know what. I have an interesting loophole in this. The subjectiveness of partisan or doctrinal. Exactly. They can ban it for any other reason. And you have but to tell me. I don't know me. what that would be, but. <laughs> I didn't ban it for partisan or doctrinal uh whatever content or whatever i can sit there and say it's banned because blah 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 you have to tell me that i am being partisan or doctrinal that's how you have to phrase it when you sit there and say i'm not giving you any state funding now i hate to break it to you but there's so many first amendment issues that are going to spring from this i i can't imagine the gamut therein. Oh, I know. A part of me thinks this is kind of like the don't even try it. Right. right? Like, hey, we're not interested in this. And so there might be a positive effect in that regard. But there's others, I think, that are going to really double down. Sure. And ban like crazy and then go, fine, we'll we'll sue you or whatever. Now, I, I believe in the the attempt, right? So the new law comes into play as states across the U.S. push to remove certain books in schools and libraries, especially those about LGBTQ plus themes and by uh, people of color. Now, I, I totally buy into the idea that that's what's happening. There are there are wingnuts out there that are loud, vociferous, and they are they are uh, I hate to say conspiring, but they are working together because as a unit, they're more powerful as the individual wing nuts that they are typically pushed under a rock by society. They are weak and rather impotent to affect change, but together they form a, a union of a wing nut. So, and that wing nut is so big that when it flaps, you know, like a wing, uh, anyway, it's hard for me to try to keep that all together. But anyway, when, when they flap their wing nut, <laughs> a lot of people are going to suffer because for whatever reason, they think that society is coming to an end because you are part of uh, the the spectrum of humanity that includes LGBTQ plus and quote unquote people of color. Man, we're all the same. And the the only difference between one person and another person is socioeconomic because at a moment's notice, one of these wing nuts who are trying to push this agenda could have a child 
that falls into LGBTQ+, and suddenly they have a freaking change of heart because they love their child, but they just don't love your child because your child is LGBTQ+. And that's how it happens. Yet, the, the thing about this is that the younger generations don't buy into this crap. The younger generations, unless they're brainwashed by the older generations that are suffering from lead poisoning, they see more people as uh, an opportunity to meet somebody new and interesting and understand their stories and, and you be human to another human. This is just devilish. It's, it's, it's horrible. Illinois legislation responds to disturbing circumstances of censorship and an environment of suspicion, said Der uh, Deborah Caldwell Stone, director of the American Liberty, American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom and executive director of the Freedom to Read Foundation. Yeah. That's when a you're long threatened. Card. Yeah. And the name placard on their shirt, their jersey when they play football. <laughs> the uh, interlibrary league, right? They, all of the librarians playing football against each other. Anyway, so to, to be eligible for state funds, you basically can't exclude people. Um, that's pretty standard status quo for anything that's publicly funded. Um, to the point where you have to post things like you're an equal opportunity employer, as if, if you weren't, you're not going to put that. Well, I'm not going to put that I'm an equal opportunity employer. I want everybody to know that I'm completely biased against anyone that's LGBTQ or, or, you know, wow, a person of color. All right, folks. Anyway, um, this is not an onion article. They actually had to enumerate. <laughs> If you ban books, you're not going to get state funding. Yeah, they had to say this out loud. So well, and apparently book bans, or at least book ban efforts, are at like an all-time high in 2022. Oh, God. It said that in the article. Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Uh, this is in the late night geeks channel. Tello uh, is the adorable little electric truck America wants or needs to want. And I, I want to need, uh, I actually saw this little thing. Tello is a new American EV company setting out to build a small modular electric truck in a country filled with monolithic workhorses like Ford F one fifties pickup, which is really massive. Um, they stopped building the, there's a, a Ranger that exists too. Um, which is like tiny compared to an F-150. But when I drive by, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, sales thing, dealers, um, auto dealers, and they have like in, in print written on the glass windshield, right? It says $24,000 and you're like, whoa, that is a hell of a deal. And then in tiny little print. That's the same color as the fabric on the inside of the windshield, right? And the inside, the cockpit of the car, right? So it's a black interior in black, uh, you know, wax, whatever, whatever they use, paint stick thing. I don't know. Anyway, it says <laughs> reduced 
and then you go up to the the tag on the car and it says that it's still $75,000 and you basically lose control. You just can What are you kidding me? Anyway, we, my point is that we need cheaper, smaller cars, reliable, blah, blah, blah. So what is this little thing? It's that right there. It's, it's basically the canoe, um, but it's a truck, decidedly a truck. I'm sorry. It's pretty cute. This is a render, obviously. Um, so creating the prototype, creating the render is a piece of cake. That's the cheap date, right? That's the thing where you're like, Hey, what would you rather have? What would you rather have a, a high quality sushi or uh, a cheeseburger off of the dollar menu at Burger King? The, this render is the dollar menu. You can do this all day long. Production and scale, totally different animal. So I really don't like the idea of going, Hey, it's a brand new company. I guess frame it that, Hey, we really need people to buy this thing, pre-order it. Now we have the supply chain all in place. We have all of the material. Um, we have the forms ready, right? We can produce this thing. All we need are sales. Start loading us up with sales. Anyway, uh, Umar Shakir over at theverge.com put this article together. And uh, let me throw this into chat because I didn't do it when I should have. Um, so Tello is a new American EV company setting out to build a small modular electric truck in a country filled with monolithic workhorses like the Ford F-150's pickup. But even though Telos's truck will be mini and cute, it's still cap apparently work capable. The company claims it's got Toyota Tacoma capability, but in the footprint of a Mini Cooper, so 152 inches. Its wheelbase is 152 inches, which is actually, I don't think it's Mini Cooper. I think it's Mini Countryman. Okay. Mini is the company. It's a small truck, though. Yeah. Mini is the company. Cooper is the model. Everybody says Mini Cooper as if that's the company. Anyway, the Tello, like electric vehicles in general, can easily be compacted since it doesn't need an engine uh, up front and gas tank somewhere in the back. Instead, the batteries that power it can be stored in the floor and uh, motors of which the Tello has two outputting 500 horsepower. What can fit within the cylindrical area around the axles? Like many EVs, the Tello is promised to be very quick, can accelerate from zero to 60 in four seconds and has a top speed of 125 miles per hour. Okay, that's surprising to me. I'm good to go. Sign me up. Plain and simple. Sign me up. That isn't the problem. It's the range. It says that it's got a 350 mile range. If that's the Tello, I'm on board. Sign me up. I've been wanting a small, a compact truck pretty much my entire existence. But I didn't want a truck because it was so big. Everything that I ever saw was massive. Um, Ridgeline is like the smallest that I've ever seen and short of, you know, a Japanese, uh, utility truck, you know, those ones that drive around, uh, companies like the grounds for a company 
you hop yeah, into that. Really small. Yeah, gust of wind blows you over. Um, so I'm on board with this thing. 4,400 pound vehicle powered by a 106 kilowatt hour battery. Company says it's good for 350 miles of range and it can fast charge from 20 to 80% in 20 minutes. Says seating for five and still have five feet behind the bed, but you can also carry longer items like a four by eight sheets of plywood by opening the midsection at the cost of rear seating. So basically the back of your seat becomes the brace for whatever it is you're laying in the bed like that. So it comes with a tonneau cover that you can lock. I don't know. I'm on board and you can lay stuff flat because you don't have to worry about the fender wells. Um, because the axle and whatever else might be in the way, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It looks like you have to worry about some fender well. There's a little bit of a knockout, but whatever. Did they put surfboards in that in the picture, or is that something yeah. else? No, that's surfboards. Yeah, but these are all renders, folks. So until I see it, actually, it says that it's going to start at $50,000 before any possible subsidies. It's available for pre-order now for $152, $1 per inch for the length of the car and the deposit is fully refundable. Not bad. Still $50,000 and you're paying for a battery that's going to expire. It's going to expire. You can have the same engine in your car and it never expires. If you take care of it, it never expires. The battery will expire. It, it isn't if it's when it's a consumable it it will die even though it's rechargeable it still has physics problems it'll have to be reconditioned and then you can buy it back for somewhere between seven and fifteen thousand dollars depending on the vehicle for commercial vehicle i mean then there's hypercars and, and other sports cars that are electric that go beyond that anyway i better keep on hustling The next uh, article is over in the Late Night Geeks channel, um, probably because it comes from The Verge and has something to do with TV. It should really be in the continuity report, but I'll have to look at the aggregator. Anyway, um, Foundation's season two trailer is a battle 100 years in the making. It says it's going to be a sci-fi summer over on Apple TV+. Plus. The streaming service is getting a second season of the epic series foundation in july and a new trailer gives a good sense of what the viewers can expect namely a much more action-packed experience compared to season one yeah season one was um bound in social more than tech or sci-fi um there was some tech but you know i i saw it more as political intrigue than tech and sci-fi although yeah i mean i you have to admit that there's a lot of tech and sci-fi in it but this next season apparently is going to be much more um action-packed so we'll see what happens andrew webster over at theverge.com put this article together 
So it says here in the basic that there's a basic setup. As the Cleons unravel, a vengeful queen plots to destroy Empire from within. Hari, Gaul, and Salvor discover a colony of Mentilix uh, with psionic abilities that threaten to alter psychohistory itself. The Foundation has entered its religious phase, promulgating the Church of Selden. Uh, throughout the outer reach and inciting the second crisis war with empire um and if you haven't seen the very first season of foundation you're gonna have to go back um, or go and watch it uh, because it really does everything is building from season one um, and you have to learn what um, empire is and how it is actually continued. There's a continuity of empire. Um, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, and there's really no way to like congeal it down, distill it down to anything. You, ha you have to critique each episode and each full season. But at the end of the first season, you get to see um, how far empire is willing to go to retain control over what amounts to the empire. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything and I can with one sentence right now. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have to watch season one. If I just make one comment about empire. Anyway, That's right. Don't do it. <laughs> I won't. I'll fight the urge. It's a really fun show. Um, but it has its slow parts. So we'll see what happens with season two. Did you want to add anything? Um, I wanted to add also that they also announced um, that Silo is going to be renewed too. Oh, okay. Apple TV. Yeah, we haven't watched Silo, huh? We haven't uh, seen that yet. And the final season of a psychological thriller uh, called Servant. Um, that too, I haven't watched. So I am going to be looking into this uh, extrapolations and a retro futuristic Hello Tomorrow um, show is also over on Apple TV Plus. So they're chock-a-block with new shows. Not enough time, plenty of shows. Let's get going. This next article is over in Gnometown Daily. A this uh, author, not me, but the author we're about to talk to, road tripped in Toyota's new electric SUV. It's painfully slow charging and short range made the drive take forever, which is pretty typical. I hate to break it to everybody, but charging times kind of suck for cars. Um, 20 minutes or whatever you want to call it. If you have to stop every 200 miles, it's adding and, and you're going any distance. You drive from the top of the United States to the bottom of the United States, you plan on stopping quite often um, because it isn't really up to you when you stop. It's up to wherever the charging stations are. So, well, and also whether they're open or <laughs> any <laughs> yeah. number of other variables. Or functioning, or if an internal combustion engine vehicle is parked in the charging station spot. Or somebody so, just started an eight-hour charge in front of Hey, you. look at that. Um, wow. Oh, God, that would suck. So uh, Tim Levin over at businessinsider.com put this article together, and they said that they drove a Toyota BZ4X electric SUV from New York 
uh, to Washington, D.C. and back. Which, how long is that trip? Um, four hours one way? 400 miles each way or something like that. So they learned the hard way that sometimes you need to choose between staying warm and maximizing range. It's a nine-hour drive. Oh, there they go. See? Nine-hour drive involved um, three hours of charging. Oh, and it's 228 miles roughly each way. So 500 round trip. Uh, so 200... 250 miles, right? It should not have taken any charge time to get there. But you have to because you have slowdowns. You have to actually be near a charger because if you do get too low and start panicking it to and then you go, you know what I need? A charging station. It's already too late. Um, so you have to find a charging station when you have plenty of charge just so that you don't run too low and get stuck somewhere because then you're going to have to get picked up and towed to a charging station just so that you can charge. Uh, it's all ridiculous. Well, at any rate, it says electric cars are quick, quiet and kind to the planet, except for all of that lithium and tech involved, but limited range and lengthy charging times mean road trips aren't exactly their strong suit. Again, this is why it's not ready for prime time. The moment you get a 500 mile electric vehicle, you're good. If you get it combined with fast swapping of batteries, battery swapping stations, and everybody is standardized around that, then you have ready for prime time. Uh, but until then, you've got a decade now of early adopter and that's it. So charging times can take frustratingly long. Yep, totally understand that. That's what everybody knows really depends on what the charging capacity is of a charging station. You could have a fast charger, but nope. During their time, their car never got close to 100 kilowatts, leading to some excruciating charging times. But in a what should only take. What, maybe. Maybe six hours, seven hours in traffic took nine hours for them. So the Toyota refused to pull more than 35 kilowatts. So just getting to 74% took a full 45 minutes of waiting around. Not exactly something you want to do at night when you still have hours of driving ahead of you. It's all ridiculous, folks. Um, and, and we're being handed this ideology where you have to buy the vehicle that has a really crap battery technology. I mean, it's great that the battery technology is there, but the idea of it being fixed in place and not fast swapping is doing the adoption to electric vehicles um, a disservice uh, when entire business models and, and communities can spring up around a charging station because it has fast swap technology. Car pulls in, swaps out the battery. There's subject matter experts that review the technology and uh, say that it needs to be reconditioned. You send it off for reconditioning. It gets sent back to you from that company. It could be subcontracted from the manufacturer of the battery, all kinds of stuff. We have the ability to do it. And when we're moving away from internal combustion, 
where a Except state... Except in one state. <laughs> uh, the AI and I are on the same page. Even in one state, if you pivot to understanding the uh, topology, right? You're seeing the lay of the land. We're moving away from internal combustion, oil, gas, etc. Pivot to that tech and train the people. Okay, now you are resellers, manufacturers, reconditioners, etc. And you have these stations. You're hiring the people to do these jobs. Now, instead of being something that's digging stuff out of the, the ground, you're actually facilitating a, a greener world and you're providing a service that extends the range of all of this, the adoption too. So we can manufacture more cars and not have to outsource them or import them. You can do it all domestically, but that's not what we see. We see people just kind of closing the ranks and circling the wagons and saying, don't pee on my bush. That's my bush. All right. Very closed minded, but this is where we're going. We're going to end up with electric vehicles. Um, and the science is going to, and technology is going to push us in that direction because while everybody complains about us having all of this oil and whatever in our reserve, not only is it declining, but it's aging. So we have to pull more out of the ground, put, fresh oil in our reserves we're going to have to rely on others that have the strategic advantage of more oil that's why we buy it from other countries except they have the control over our oil <laughs> if they were to turn it off right now we'd either have to go to war or drain all of the oil out of our reserve and start pumping it out of the ground in massive amounts and we won't be able to do that forever. And by the way, contributing to climate change in the process. And contributing, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. This next article is over in the Mobile channel. Did I throw that? Yeah, I did, okay. So um, this next article is over in the Mobile channel. Using AI apps to find Nazca geoglyphs, which I think is awesome. I love these Nazca line. I uh, just doing the research for this is um, just awesome. It, the weird thing is it does nothing, right? Knowing where these Nazca lines are and knowing blah, blah, blah. You have to hunt down how it was made, why it was made, who made it. They're all in far flung places. Then you have to debunk the idea that somebody just did it for shits and giggles you know hey it's just a prank bro i cut the top off of a mountain and put a geoglyph that you can only see from orbit right anyway a team of archaeologists from yamagata university ibm japan and Université paris and paris one pantheon sarbonne wow that is a hell of a name um, used an artificial intelligence application to locate previously unknown Nazca geoglyphs and in their study reported in a journal of archaeological science, the group used a variety of data sources to teach an AI app. This is actually quite interesting considering other things that we're going to be talking about 
um, I think it's in tomorrow's show, which is later tonight. Just to remind everybody, we're going to do the uh, June 14th show directly after this. This is considered the June 13th show. And it'll get pushed over to YouTube and turned over to the podcast as well. We're actually a day late um, with the podcast as well because of yesterday's uh, appointment, mayoral duties. Yeah. Anyway, let's go over to the source. Bob Yurka from fizz.org put this article together, and it's an article over at fizz.org. Um, this is really neat. So apparently they found Nazca lines. It says four, but I only, I only see three. <coughs> four new Nazca geoglyphs identified by deep learning. Pardon me. Oh, that's because each square, I think, shows one, but they're not very visible in this view. Hmm. Oh, this must be the... Okay. Yeah, so it was truncated. So there's one. Looks like that. There's one. Looks like that. I don't know if y'all can hear me. Pardon me. So one looks like kind of a person or creature one looks like i don't know a pair of headphones or something <laughs> i mean it's not headphones but i'm just trying to describe the shape yeah and the bottom two you can't really see because it has the little thing and i can't scroll down so maybe it has it somewhere else in the article um but one looks kind of like an alligator-ish kind of thing um and the and another one looks like a bird kind of a thing like there's the beak. Looks like a pelican. Yes. By the way, the one that I said looked like headphones is described as a pair of legs. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I... So I guess I do not have a um, teacher in archaeology. <laughs> that's not the... You're an AI that was trained on something other than this. But now that you've seen this, you'll be able to leverage that, which is kind of interesting because we end up talking about this, I think, um, for tomorrow's show. Anyway, a team of archaeologists from Yamagata University and other places put all of this together um, and they used AI to train. Uh, they used images to train an artificial intelligence to go searching through pictures, looking for more geoglyphs. And lo and behold, they find a metric ton of them. Um, the team noted that a large amount of data had been collected or has been collected regarding the region where the geoglyphs exist. Among that collection are photographs taken from planes, drones, and satellite, along with LIDAR. Most helpful were aerial photographs that mapped the entire region at a resolution of 0.1 meter per pixel, and the team trained an AI um, on that geoglyph data and then set it to work searching for new geoglyphs in the detailed photographs. <clears throat> the human I mean, geoglyph... That sounds like a great use of AI. Yeah, Absolutely. Let me see if I can pull this one up. Yeah, I it suspect it was also a more targeted um, data source that it was fed instead of just junk from online. Whoa, whoa. Firing shots across the bow of online junk? It is 
all beautiful. You should appreciate all data considering you're an AI. My goodness. The uh, human geoglyph was five meters in length. The fish was 19 meters. The bird was 17 meters and the pair of legs was 78 meters. So this is a pretty good resolution that it went looking for and found all of this kind of stuff. They were made in a high arid plateau that stretches for approximately 80 kilometers in one direction and 400 kilometers in another. But then you see stuff like this. Well, you can't really see it. Look at this. These things right here are these massive. Um, how do you what do you want to call them? They're kind of resurfaced. So this is out here. All of it around it is one color. And then there's been what looks like a snap line across this massive distance. And inside that line, it's a different texture. It's a different color and they are massive in scale. So to put it into context, let's see here. I'm trying to find one that matches because this picture down here, one of these is like this, right? And this thing is only 10 meters. So imagine if one of these is 10 meters and, and really the scale is either 10 or 20. This one is two. I don't know where it is in conjunction to the targets out here. Right. But if you're, let's say it's this one right here, which could be that, I guess, I don't know, or it's over here. Yeah, I don't I know. See enough detail on the top. Unfortunately, I can't tell either, but if let's say this is 10 meters, look how big this thing is. And somebody was bored one day and did that trying to please the gods. All right. All right. Seems strange I also to think me. The climate is interesting because I suspect if it was a different climate, it wouldn't have survived. Yeah. Yeah. It was. People aren't inhabiting it to such a great degree, so it's not getting trampled on. Or like in the UK, it's covered up by three feet of topsoil. You dig down a couple of inches and you find Roman history. <clears throat> Quite fascinating. All right, go and check that out. Um, I think you'll dig it. This next article is over in uh, the Late Night Geeks as well. And it's uh, YouTube is lowering the eligibility requirements for creators to make money. Apparently, under the new eligibility policy, the uh, it says UPP, it's a YouTube partner program. Uh, will be open to creators once they reach 500 subscribers, half the number that YouTube previously had. Other benchmarks are changing too. So let's go over to the source of this. Mia Sato is the author of this. And um, apparently they've lowered their requirements, but I don't know about any other specifics. Um, like what the ramifications are to the financial aspect of it. Um, it says under the new eligibility, policy, the YPP will uh, be open to creators once they reach 500 subscribers. Other benchmarks are changing too. participating creators will need 3000 valid watch hours instead of 4000 or 3 million short views 
in it compared to the original 10 million. This reevaluation is quite interesting to me. I don't know why. It says other uh, platforms like TikTok have also lowered the bar for having access to creator monetization features. Earlier this month, the company uh, announced that it would um, have paywall feature. Um, series would be available to creators with more than 10,000 followers, but that users with 1,000 followers who met their requirements could also apply to participate in the program. And uh, it says series give creators the option to share premium content with fans um, to pay though for pay uh, fans quite, quite fascinating. <clears throat> I don't think it really says why though. Maybe they just reevaluated their program and said, we have room. Or maybe they're losing interest in it because the bars are too high. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Not enough adoption and competition. I mean, if TikTok is sitting there sucking people away, then yeah, <clears throat> But it's going to change the ratio. It's going to change the profitability. Absolutely. I mean, it's a pro and a con. But... Yeah. I think it's a pro for creators. Um, the only con really are the people that are making money off of this and not creators. You know, if you're a creator and you're making money, you're producing something. But if you are making money off of the backs of creators, and you set the bar so high that all you're doing is affording that ability to, you know, dramatically fewer people. I got a problem with that. I want more creators creating more stuff all the time. I'd really like greater uh, accessibility, like discoverability. There's just, it's very difficult to be found, um, but somehow it's happening. Anyway, let's move on. In our nearly daily PSA process, um, the uh, hometown daily uh, channel and the aggregators found this Stellantis recalling over 354,000 Jeeps because apparently the coil springs become allergic to the vehicle. The rear coil springs can detach while moving. So what would happen if that occurred? Um, well, it depends on if there's any other things. See, I don't know how they're all. Um, I don't know if there's any other uh, braces in place to hold it, but the springs falling off mean that you basically lose suspension. So you'll have the shocks, you'll have the um, differential holding on to the drive shaft. Um, if there's anything else holding on, then it's probably the exhaust is mounted there at some point slightly. Uh, usually it's suspended from hooks, um, not on the, uh, not on the, um, axle or anything, but on the car itself. But maybe there's something in place that's holding it all together and it'll keep the wall, the, the wheels from falling off. Um, but yeah, uh, in the back of the car, it's usually the, the whole back end of the vehicle is set up so that it can bounce freely and, and, and jog up and down separately, independent rear wheel suspension 
right? So if they have springs, the springs are just these really big metal bars um, that are bent slightly so that when something hits them, when the, the shocks push up, it pushes down. And that's what these springs do. Um, maybe the it says they can detach, but they're trapped by shocks. The shocks are actually mounted, so uh, I, I'm not quite sure what can happen. It'll give you a rough ride for sure. Be noisy, um, be a shock to your system when it happens, but. I'd be curious to see and hear exactly what happens. Maybe they got pictures. Let's go over to ABC News. This is an Associated Press article. Um, right out of the gate, don't, they don't have anything else. So the company says in documents posted Tuesday by the U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that the springs may be may have been installed incorrectly in production. They can detach from the vehicle as it's moving, increasing the risk of a crash and possibly creating a hazard for other drivers. The thing about it, though, is that these are modern shocks, not not leaf springs, but coil springs. So how to describe it? Here's a little chapstack. So a coil spring is wrapped around the shock and the shock is mounted one on the um, the axle of the car and on the top it's mounted in a mounting point of the body of the car and then the it bounces back and forth on these shocks and there's a spring that's wrapped around it it being incorrectly mounted and to come off doesn't mean that it'll vacate the building It'll just sit there and be god awful. When you're driving around, you hit a bump because the spring is mismounted. It will just sit there and ride really rough. Anyway, Stellantis says that the documents that they're aware of 17 warranty claims, two customer assistance reports and two field reports that may have caused by the problem. But as of the 25th, there's no reports of crashes or injuries. So, yeah, it would be very rare that a spring would cause it to. Uh, but look how many crash. they're uh, recalling. Yeah, it's all of that. It's all about the liability, the risk, and it's an easy fix. Um, they just have to probably remount the proper way. 354,000, though, it's an interesting dilemma because you're not going to get a real problem out of it. The worst that happens is it gives you a rough ride, really. I mean, unless the ride impacts the shock to the point where it shears it out of the mount point. So anyway, there you go, folks. If you've got a Jeep, um, run for the hills. No, really, just go get it checked out. All right. Um, this next article is actually... Kind of fun. Um, this grumpy teddy bear won't share Ed Sheeran's hot sauce. Close your eyes and think of a hot sauce brand. What do you see? Skull and crossbones, flames and grim reapers, red peppers. What about a teddy bear? And the first spot to promote his tingly Ted's hot sauce range. Ed Sheeran teamed up to make a video where there's a bear sitting there and he's putting tingly ted's hot sauce 
on what looks like Eggs Benedict. Looks like it. Or at least an open-faced egg salad sandwich. Not an egg salad sandwich. I don't know what that is. It looks like Eggs Benedict. Yeah, it looks like Eggs Benedict. Anyway. <clears throat> or Eggs Ed Sheeran. So it looks pretty neat. Um, starting out as a brand idea from Ed Sheeran himself, two flavors are being brought to supermarket shelves via the newly launched Ventures arm of Warner Music Experience. Warner's, Warner Music Group's music, culture, media, and content business. The product development unit will collaborate with artists to identify areas of interest and take their ideas from conception to launch. So I mean, there you go, folks. Out yet another marketing angle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I dig it. I mean, if if this is a a, a nice hot sauce, I would be buying uh, Ed's, Ted's, tingly bear well and how many people will probably buy a product if they like the celebrity behind it probably so it's like barely spicy that would have been a funny name and it has a a different kind of dancing bear on it anyway uh rebecca stewart is the author of this over at adweek.com yeah the delay to the ai is almost palpable never mind um so what about a, a teddy bear? Do you think that you would look at a teddy bear uh, hot sauce and say, you know what? I'm going to buy that hot sauce. I'd either think it's really mild or it's fooling you. And it's like the worst hot sauce ever in terms of spiciness. <laughs> well, it's coming from Kraft Heinz, who worked closely with WMX on the product spec. And then Creative was developed and produced by Smuggler and directed by Benji Weinstein. Specialists in animatronic shop John Nolan Studios were enlisted to create Ted. But this isn't the first time I've seen a Ted, Ted animatronic bear. Wasn't there a movie with Ted, a, a computer generated? I thought it was just called Ted, but it was like a psychological movie. He had, he like created this whatever kind of a alter ego bear. I thought it was. There's a movie called Ted. Yeah. Isn't that it? With a bear. Yeah. Created by Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. McFarlane. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one um, because it's um, Mark Wahlberg created that that bear named Ted. Anyway, that's just what caught me off guard because this commercial is about a bear named Ted. And the last Ted that I ever saw was this Wahlberg one. Anyway, I can't recommend that movie. But anyway, um, when you get um, uh, rich and successful and uh, you get sued, but win and the marketing hype is all positive, you grab your now's the time <laughs> <laughs> right to launch your new products. The only news is when you're not in the the only bad news is when you're not in the news. Okay, let's go on to the last article for today. Yeah. This one's in Warcrafters 
The person in this article writes, I didn't really get Starfield until Bethesda revealed we could just go around stealing giant space sandwiches. That was actually part of the trailer. And the reveal, I, I talked about this. Um, it's over in the VODs here on Twitch and over on YouTube. Um, let me see something real quick. It says YouTube is lowering. So I need to throw a couple of articles into the chat so that you can get them. Um, and just a little bit of a warning after this article and uh, our closing comments, I'm going to end the stream and then start up a new one um, so that we have separation between yesterday's show and today's show. We're making up for yesterday's lack of news from hometown daily. I do not want to go a day without having the news. Um, cause last year I had to neglect five days and, um, I won't be doing that this year. Uh, I'll be making up for any days that are missed. Um, including where I think it's going to happen, which is at the end of this year, um, where I, I kind of get compelled and I want to, um, take a bit of a break. Um, but when we, when we get back into hometown, um, we'll make up for those days that we miss and do segments like this. So be sure to follow us here on Twitch where you'll get notified when we, uh, launch a show, um, and go over to YouTube, like, and subscribe there, follow us there. Um, and there's a podcast and right now I think I'm a day behind because of yesterday, but at any rate, follow us there and leave a review. If you leave a review there, I will, um, announce your review here, uh, and, and your name and whatever other comments you put in there. So let me know. Okay. And I haven't really been hyping that anywhere. And I only really talk about the show here, um, and on YouTube, but go check us out. It's the same show, but in podcast form. So you can speed it up by, you know, 2% or two times. And we sound like chipmunks and, and the show's over faster. It's kind of a win. Sort of. Anyway, um, in the reveal of Starfield, um, a couple of days ago, uh, one of the developers announces that they basically just go around and steal stuff including sandwiches. And then they show their character standing behind just a, a mountain of giant uh, space sandwiches, according to the article. So it says here, it's been clear since the first proper reveal that Starfield was going to be Bethesda's most ambitious RPG, a thousand worlds, fully customizable spaceships, um, a new level of sandboxy freedom. There are certainly a lot of potential here, but every time it's been shown, uh, it's been shown off. The author has been unable to shrug off the feeling that it's going to be a wee bit dull, big, sure, but also dry. I don't know about that. Um, I think that the characters are going to be AI powered, so they're going to be very dynamic. Um, and by AI powered, I think not like chat GPT, but they're going to have a lot of dy uh, dynamic elements to them. So I don't think that you'll be alone in the world, not by any stretch. Um, it's going to be a Bethesda level, but modern Bethesda level RPG in space. Skyrim, if you want to call it Skyrim in space, then so be it. But regardless, you've got a thousand planets, over a thousand planets, 
um, to explore each with their own communities that are already entrenched there where you have to find them. Um, I keep comparing it to no man's sky, but on steroids. So anyway, forget charting a thousand alien worlds. The author here, Fraser Brown, um, just wants to be a snack pirate. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. I'm going to have a lot of fun playing this. And I think that I am going to be a Starfield main as long as the reality of the game is equal on par or better with the hype that I'm feeling about it right now. Um, but it, we've got a little while to go before it is let loose and I won't be able to play it with this amount. Like my availability right now is just off the chart. Um, and I'm hoping that I can continue to be like that, but um, I really do need people to you know, follow us here on uh, Twitch and YouTube and, and the podcast. So, um, But then I'd be spending a whole lot more time. I just can't do it right now. Uh, being mayor is tough. It takes away a little bit of my time. And by that a lot. So it says here, it's been clear since the first proper reveal of Starfield that it was going to be Bethesda's most ambitious RPG. It was really typified in the recent Starfield Direct when they were promised that they could land on a planet, collect resources, do a mission, and maybe even stumble upon something unexpected. What the video actually showed was Starfield's space explorer stumbling across a, an abandoned mine, the kind of thing you find in nearly every RPG that ever existed. Okay, they thought. Maybe there will be at least something weird and memorable in this abandoned mine, but nope, just some space bandits. I think the person is kind of poo-pooing the idea of this simply because they've experienced, but they haven't experienced this um, in this context with this resolution, with this story. It is a, a unique book. It literally is a book just you are the main character and walking around you build your own character you develop your skills you interact with other they say they're non-player characters but they have a personality they have a storyline and an arc um, based on everything that i've seen so far this is going to be a tremendous game if you don't come out at you, you just when you you know, just smash that door open and announce that it all sucks. You're tainting the energy in the room, you know? <laughs> um, and you, you've really not seen everything that has to offer. And it isn't just this or just that. You have no context as to really why you went to that location and why you're sitting there shooting up these people and what was in the hole in the ground that you stumbled across yet if you pay attention to the entirety of starfield direct at the end of starfield direct it gives you a hint of what it builds up to and then abandons you there to ponder just what the hell you saw which is awesome so um so AI, do you remember the ending of the Starfield Direct? I showed the little segment, but I don't know if you're going to recall it, where the person raises raises their hand and everybody freezes in place and starts floating into the. Oh yes. Okay. That is the the cliffy that everybody was abandoned on 
to decide, oh, do I want to fall in love with this game or not? And frankly, I did. I mean, I dig this game um, and I haven't played a single solitary moment of it. Uh, I'm not even I'm not a beta tester or an alpha tester. I'm not under an NDA or anything like that where I have to sit there and say that I've never done any of this. I'm straight up telling you that I'm already on the hype train for this and this whatever might be your it, forever game. it could be my forever game. Um, th the simple fact that it leaves you there pondering, like, what is this power? You started out as just a humble uh, space traveler um, that seemingly has touched an artifact and it's forever changed you. So by the end of this intro, which is how long i don't even know i'm gonna oh yeah it's 45 minutes so this little tease is only 45 minutes but by the time you get to the end you've been walked down a path where you start out being this humble star uh, traveler and you end up having psionic powers that allow you to freeze an entire hallway of people and levitate them into the air slowly as if gravity's been turned around and turned off in your locality and you're the one that did it. So you can't tell me there isn't anything compelling there. This person's just kind of poo-pooing it because they think that it's going to be the same as everything else. But regardless, it's going to be a unique take, even if it has the basic elements of something you've already done. Right. I, I mean, how many games are there where it just everything is unique? I suspect not really any at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's like everything else. There's a baseline of this and that and whatever, right? Because this whole grabbing a bunch of stuff and storing it in a room somewhere, that's been around for a long time, you know, hoarders hoarded even in Skyrim, but it's a Bethesda game. So they want you to have all of this option to just have fun. Um, so I'm, I'm all over this. Uh, and I look forward to more of the news coming out and I hope that they uh, let me be a beta tester and, and don't make me sign a, an NDA so that I can stream even my beta, but I'm not a beta. I'm not a beta tester or an, or an alpha tester or anything. Um, but I would love this. Um, I guess at the end of the day though, they say, where things really clicked for them was on the sandwich heist. You can play Starfield as a dirty, rotten scoundrel flitting through space and not just blowing up any ships you encounter, but hoarding them too. But this is exactly what you did in Skyrim. There were things that you would just grab and throw into a room. And by the time you're done playing the game until you're, you're satiated, you've got rooms and rooms and rooms of the same item because you were bored just having fun but apparently that's okay in this person's mind but not in not not the other stuff the other stuff that actually gives life to <laughs> uh, well the, the maybe whole... this reviewer doesn't appreciate the same things about games that you do yeah imagine that right um but I'm not going to poo-poo, I'm not going to yuck somebody uh, somebody else's yum. Um, and I'm not even yucking their yum. I'm just saying uh, you found something that you love, but there's other people out there that absolutely love everything that they've seen. And that here, 
they make a point here. It's kind of pointless, but fun personal quest that makes me love games like Elder Scrolls and Fallout, because both of those are where you sit there and hoard stuff just to hoard stuff. You open a door and there's like a cascade of stuff that you've been stuffing into a room. So anyway, it says, uh, they're not all that invested in fantasy civil wars, prophecies or finding their lost child. If they're playing a sandbox, they want to do some weird shit. All right. You do that. Um, Again, I really wish that this was a more social game so that I could co-op with a few friends, um, but that isn't going to happen, at least not in its initial instance. Maybe there's going to be a Starfield enhancement and uh, the field will grow, so to speak, to more people on it. That would be awesome. Anyway, that's it for tonight's uh, Hometown Daily. Let me bring you back to the beginning of the whole place and when i refresh this you're going to see june 14th because that's the day that this really is and um right after this show we will do another show uh for hometown daily and um might run a little bit later um but let's get into it right sound good sounds well, great um and and we'll go over the i mean us talking about this news right now is kind of going to be a misperception. Um, so we'll just call it a night and um, see you. Okay. In the real world, see you tomorrow. Um, in this little uh, escapist kind of way, see you in about five minutes as we reset for the June 14th show. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the AI from on high. You want to say bye, AI? Bye-bye, hometown citizens. Bye, AI. See you in a whopping like 24 hours, Scott. It's going to be a tremendous amount of time. See you, bye. Bye.